0: This week's episode of Age of Geek was pre-recorded at FanX. Colin and fellow panelists discuss how the Star Wars prequels changed the galaxy forever. And remember, this is where the fun begins.
1: So if you are in How the Star Wars Prequels Change the Galaxy Forever, an unconventional defense of the most divisive films in the franchise, you are in the right place. Uh, my name is Chelsea Bloomfield. I am going to be your moderator. Let's go ahead and have our panelists introduce themselves.
2: I guess I'll go next, then. I am um, about, I'm, I'm a general nerd. I've been one since I was little. I've run Star Wars RPGs. That's most of my credentials. I
1: do
2: you have a skull podcast? It's on semi hiatus. We'll release a new episode every year
1: or so.
2: Yeah, I'm really good. I'm great. Well, I'm Damon Ricks,
3: uh, member of the Bible uh, First Legion, Rebel Legion, uh, Craig Clan. We've been uh, costuming for over 15 years. Been a absolute fan since I was seven. And, uh, you know, have a daughter named Leia, a son named Ben, so it core- is to the core, you know, with us. You know. <laughs> uh, no,
4: no, not Not No, not my name. Uh, I'm Luke <laughs> Untaker. I'm the host of the Nerd Film Podcast. Uh, you know, being named Luke, you kind of either have to embrace Star Wars entirely or reject it, and I made my choice.
5: <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's up? My is Noel. I am... The co host of uh, Chelsea and Noel Go to Hell. If you haven't figured it out, Chelsea's over there. <laughs> um, we talk about nerd stuff, cryptids, and sometimes conspiracy theories, but that's why I'm here.
0: I'm Colin Farmer, uh, part of Geek Media. We do a bunch of different podcasts like News That Make Us, uh, Cutscenes and Cut Gigs, and uh, uh And probably my uh, Star Wars creds. Uh, back in high school, I would uh, dress in Jedi robes, and eventually got them banned for some reason. <laughs> um, and uh, I've been on the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, and may it rest in peace forever.
1: All right. So before we really start getting into some of the panel discussions, I'm just curious. Like, who here
5: loves the prequels?
1: Wow. Wow, who here might be unsure, waiting to be convinced, potentially hates
5: one guy. Two, three. Okay. Four. <laughs> These two here?
1: Okay. Um, we actually else can leave, have people yeah. to remove you immediately. Yeah. <laughs> can you voice? come um, grab them? But in case those of you who potentially were a little too young to remember when they came out, the prequels had a branding on par with the Barbie movie. It seemed like it was everywhere. And then when they came out, it, it almost fizzled out. So we're here to defend the movies that we all love and enjoy, and it seems like we are amongst fellow enthusiasts in the prequels, so we're going to go ahead and jump into it, and we're going to start with the importance of how they developed the Star Wars universe. So let's just go ahead and go down the line and talk about how the prequels have expanded upon and deepened the lore and mythos of the Star Wars universe.
2: Well, when you start out, you have the original series, and they actually showed a really, really narrow view of the universe. We had old ships, we had, you know, the occasional planet here and there, but the prequels are the first one that really gave us scapes. Hoth was all ice. Endor, the forest moon, was just a forest moon. But then we had Naboo with architecture. We had multiple biomes. We had oceans that go through the core, and it was this entire galaxy of weird stuff that you just hadn't seen before because the technology really just didn't exist or the budget at the time either for it. So it was everything that they wanted to show, they finally could show to the best of their ability.
3: Yeah, when uh, one of my favorite parts about the, the entire series is their, and I know a lot of people, this is device is their use of green screen. Because at the time, that was a brand new technology. It wasn't something that could be used, but the beauty of that was it allowed like, for instance, in Attack of the Clones, it allowed you to have a massive battle on Geonosis with I mean, just all the droids and the clones, that entire sequence could never have been done when we were getting the original series. It's just the technology wasn't there. And so having that advancement and that ability to see, as you were saying, to see that expansion of the worlds was really,
4: really unique to that series. And it was groundbreaking at the time. Um, For me, it was really the uh, expanding on, on the history of the galaxy like, and how, how it worked when it was a republic. The uh, expanding of the force and the way that the Jedi worked alongside the republic and kind of the give and take that they had there. And it just made everything deeper. And again, it did, it did widen the perspective because you did get a very narrow perspective in the, because it's just, this is the story, but this is the, the universe. We were introduced to the universe more in prequels.
5: I think the coolest part about the prequels for me was expanding on the base of what we had before. Specifically, this is the first time we hear them reference the Sith as the wielders of the dark side. An unpopular opinion, I'm hoping you guys shaking your heads are still with me here. I also am a fan of midiplorians. <laughs> I think it blends so perfectly into the story as far like I look at midi and I think that's like the soul, the human soul, and it almost takes the sci-fi out of it and makes it live in a world of believability and that I, un- unpopular opinion for everyone outside of this room, I think midi are fantastic. I think it's a fun way to describe the powers of the force that we can understand that doesn't just take you to a sci-fi level and specifically giving the name of the Sith.
0: Yeah, it's so- a expand on the dark side piece of that I mean the intricacies that um, uh, that developed out more and more uh, with the dark side of the force and being able to understand it's you know it's not just you know force choking like it is in, in the originals it's you know being able to even um, completely mask yourself uh, to a point where you know can't be detected like it's um the, the knowledge and the growth of the dark side in just even episode one
1: was incredible. And we touched a little bit upon the use of green screen and how innovative that was at the time. And Noel, I know you have a lot of knowledge about this. So let's kind of talk about how it innovated filmmaking. And let's discuss some of the groundbreaking technological innovations that Lucas introduced to the prequels, um, especially in the realms of visual effects and sound design.
5: I wanna take this all back in time a little bit. I'm gonna throw some numbers at you. In 1958, that was the first time that CGI was used, and it was used in Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo in that spiraling scene. Up until then, we didn't see it until 1973 in Westworld, and it was untouchable, it was unfathomable. No one had the budget, or the understanding, or the ideas to even facilitate its use until George Lucas came along. And say what you will about the way that the green screen worked, but we do not have everything we have now in cinema without George Lucas and the prequels, period. I know it's, yeah, yeah, give it props, give it props. And it was because of the prequels and it was because of the need, the need for CGI that George Lucas went to Sony specifically and said, I need you to help build a camera that can mimic everything I have in my mind. And they made six prototypes that needed to either be good or better than 35 millimeter film. And that is where we have the HD cinema that we have today, the first digital HD The Phantom Menace was the first time that we were able to, in cinema history, look back at the footage live, on set, rewind it, see what we got, adjust if needed. Everything in cinema today is because of the prequels. And they got, there's children here, crapped on so hard. (laughs) They got crapped on so hard that actors left the field of acting for 20 years because people didn't like the green screen. And without it, you wouldn't get everything you love. I can assume that everyone in here is a Star Star Trek fan. I can assume everyone in here is a fan of Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. Thank you, George Lucas, because without you making the prequels, none of that would be possible technologically, period.
2: And,
4: yeah. And it's, thank you. it's funny, even even looking at uh, quality of the CGI was being used, but not anywhere Mm-mm. near that level. Go back and watch a movie from '99 that has CGI, in it, and then watch *Phantom Menace*. It looks like *Phantom Menace* is made ten years later. Yeah. But they came out almost simultaneously.
5: Yeah, George R. R. was the first ever fully animated in a live action character in cinema period. So you can hate him all you want. You can hate his fart jokes, but you can't hate what he did for like sci-fi nerd cinema period.
2: Yeah. And the more you look at it, like I remember going to see it in the theaters and it did look amazing. Everything was great. You could see the shades and it looked like a world and there were everything happening in the corners and you just stare at every corner in the theater because there's something going on in there. And it's because the green screen. You can go back, look through movie history, especially compare A New Hope with any other movie that came out in 77, far and above. Phantom Menace, same thing, far and above anything else that came out at the time. And it may not look great today because it's been 15, 20 years? How long is it actually? Don't actually tell me how long it's actually been. But it's been a little while, so of course things look better now. That's progress, and we get progress because people push the boundaries. And that's what Lucas has always done.
5: And he didn't abandon like, practical effect. No. He didn't abandon it. If you remember the pod raising scene, the, the stands, the crowds, were 500,000 hand-painted Q-tips with a fan blowing under them, and people want to talk about the green screen. What about that guy who had to hand paint all those Q-tips? <laughs>
2: so what did you work today, honey? I don't even want to talk
5: about it. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: Four done. Okay, three thousand left. But yeah, also, like, who didn't watch the pod racing scene and just stare at it in amazement because it
1: was really, really it still holds up. It holds up great, I just watched
2: it last week, and this <laughs> week, and the week before that.
1: <laughs> so there has been so much cultural impact that has come from Star Wars, clearly in like, the innovation with film ma- making, but let's talk about how it's resonated in pop culture um, in terms of memes and lar- larger discussions about like <laughs> politics and society. So what are some of those things that we still see to this day that have really resonated with you?
4: I remember just a lot of the the marketing blitz that came out. Like, I don't remember very many movies before that that had that weight behind it, right? Where there was like, oh, you you saw the, the toy at Toys R Us and it had the Darth Maul face on it. You're like, what is that?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I need to see this movie. Um, so I, that that's one thing that you see everywhere now. You see. With the Barbie movie, with any Marvel movie, with anything like that, just that just that marketing blitz out there. Like, you know, Anakin Skywalker on the outside of a Pepsi machine. Like that stuff was everywhere. And you see, again, you see that more now, but that's really the first one that I remember.
1: Well, and we talk about sometimes too about memes and tulpas and things taking on a life of their own to give it power. And you really can't escape things like "Lie well, of the High Ground." or You're the chosen one. Just Hello, yeah. <laughs> exactly. do it. Do I would also say, like, it elevated characters too that we saw in the original movies, especially with like presenting Obi Wan Kenobi in a way we never got a chance to see him. Um, and I know Luke, you're a huge fan of Obi Wan. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you guys think that you've really taken from the prequels that you still see to this day? I mean, I see prequel things all the time on TikTok. Like, how has that really resonated with you? Why do you think it resonates with Star Wars fans on a
5: whole? I think the meme generation, the extremely online generation, us, (laughs) that's who this movie was made for. And it grew up with us. We weren't able to get online on the forums and defend Hayden Christensen 20 years ago, but we can today, and we are today. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, and it sucks. I wish, I wish that I could have been on elementary school fighting on a, like a <laughs> Star Wars channel. I, I, I wish, I wish more than anything. Um, but I think that we, the movie Growing Up With Us, and us being kind of like a meme culture, it the synchronicity was perfect. It was in perfect alignment. I mean, how many people have seen that GIF of the behind-the-scenes footage on the green screen mm-hmm. <laughs> when um, Obi Wan's just like bebopping around? Yeah, <laughs> I see you doing the movement. And it's just it's fantastic. And also, all that behind-the-scenes footage in itself becoming memeable. It's glorious. It's fantastic. And. I recommend everyone to go rewatch it if you haven't already. Um, I rewatched them recently with my corrupted by capitalism mind, and the story hit a million times harder. It it hit kind of like when you watch Shrek as an adult and realize why he's named Laura Farquaad and <laughs> that whole song. That's like what it was watching the prequels again through my mind's eye. I mean, it, it's. The, the quote of this is how liberty dies to thunderous applause, I think of that every political season we have. And I'm like, this is a, this is a story as old as time, but it resonates so much that the galactic federation becomes the galactic empire. We, we watch it go from a democracy to something that is uncomfortably a little bit too similar to what we're dealing with right now in this day and age politically. So it's a, it's a funny movie made for kids, but it has that scope of adult political undertones as well, which is timeless.
2: It's like your first introduction to deep political theory. Like, yeah. It's not going to go into the depths of ex- everything happens, but you see it on the screen. You see it at- progression, you can see it growing, and then, I'm glad you brought up the quote because I was about to, like, this is how liberally dies, to thunderous applause, and it's all just the subtle manipulation of whatever is being presented at the time. And it's, it's clever, because it gets a complicated concept down to a couple bits where you can look at it and see, okay, that makes sense, I understand it now, and now I need to go to a rally because I can recognize patterns. <laughs> Now the generational
3: side of things, too, I wanted to touch a little bit on that. You mentioned your generation growing up with that. You know, um, I was seven years old when the original Star Wars came out. And I remember, you know, I remember as a kid, my dad worked for the power company. He had these giant spools that he'd bring home and used to have wires on them. And I'd pull a couple boards out, tip it over, tie Fighter. You know? <laughs> That's what we had. But, you know, growing up, just having that just deep, deep love of Star Wars, and thinking, well, we're probably not gonna get any more. And then all of a sudden, I have a couple small kids, and we get Phantom Menace. We get, you know, Attack of the Clones, and we get Revenge of the Sith, and I now have something that I get to share with my kids, as they're growing up, and see the love, and the to be able to view Star Wars again, through their eyes, you know, that was what made me truly love the prequels more than anything else, because I, love my Star Wars, but
2: I gotta love these because
3: I get to watch it with them,
2: so. It's neat that you say that, because when you're talking about sharing it with your kids and your family, it's a generational story, and it, well, however you feel about Star Wars, it is part of the cultural zeitgeist. It is a thing, and it reminded me of uh, Breath of Fire, or Rain of Fire. It was a Matt McConaughey movie with dragons in it, oh, and they came man. out. Yeah. Rain of Fire. It's not a great movie, but there are dragons in it, so I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a scene where civilization has collapsed, and they're telling stories by the campfire, and he's telling Star Wars. Specifically, you know, episode five, I'm not your father, and he cuts off his hand and goes, no, and all the little kids who are growing up in this other movie have now been introduced to Star Wars. And that's going to keep going on for generation after generation because this is the probably the first fairy tale we have actually seen generate in a snap. And it's been growing and growing and growing over decades now. And it's just going to keep doing it, especially since
5: Disney owns it. Also, can I just say... No. Not, not to you can a on. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I know you're a real Star Wars fan. Because, like... It was peace and love to you. It was the generation before us that grew up with the originals that came down so heavy handed on the critiques. And to hear you say, I love the prequels so much even though I was seven when it first came out, you are my favorite person in the entire world. (laughs) I I have so much respect and love for you because I know how hard it is to cherish something and have it be so groundbreaking and unique and then they come out 16 years later and you're like, wait a minute. And rather than have that gatekeeping mentality, you open it with arms and raise your kids on it. I I applaud you so heavily. I I appreciate you so much, seriously. Oh, this is a mean, I don't know.
3: Obviously, one of them, my favorite memes, which I don't do a lot of being my age, but it has two groups fighting each other, and then underneath it says these guys are arguing about the new Star Wars stuff, and underneath this is me enjoying having new Star Wars stuff. So, exactly. it, was, it was
4: like a you know walking through the desert and getting a nice ice cold glass of water when there was finally more Star Wars.
3: Yay! Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> it was like before that, you had the original series. And then, if you're a really big nerd, you had all the Expanded Universe stuff. And that was actually pretty fantastic stuff. But it wasn't accessible to everyone. And then we get new movies, and it is. And that's the new canon going forward.
1: And I'm glad that you guys brought up expanding the Star Wars fan base. Um, because with the release of the prequels, it did engage an entire new generation into Star Wars. And I'm interested in hearing what characters you think that came into Star Wars that we wouldn't have necessarily gotten with the prequels. And that you can mm-hmm. include Anakin in that, because our previous introduction was only really Darth Vader. So who are probably like the best characters that were brought up through the prequels that helped expand the universe? Uh,
0: Darth Maul. Okay. good. Yeah. Darth Slay. Yes. Darth Slay. Darth Slay.
1: Darth yes.
0: yes. Oh, yeah. 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 in my personal opinion. Uh, and I mean the growth that we've that we've been able to see from like e- even Clone Wars and, and Rebels and uh even the the solo movie where we that teased for one second and it's ripped away from us uh was was just amazing.
5: I would have to say I'm trying to look in the crowd and see where the ladies at because the prequels gave me thank you so much. <laughs> the Frequels gave me Padme, they gave me Amidala, and they served the house down with those looks. Are you kidding me? I, I barely remember my experience in the movie theater, but I have vivid flashbulb memories of walking into Toys R Us and seeing that Amidala Barbie and all of her looks and, and just falling to my knees. I, I still have them today. And I, don't get me wrong, I love Princess Leia, but I saw myself in Padme. I saw myself as her, and I wanted to be her, and I could dress like her, and I could buy her, and she was so accessible to me. And I I think that that's partially why the prequels got so much hate. We're in a group of people who might not remember, but they did. And... If there's one group of people who get the most amount of hate out of any fandom, it's teenage or young girls. Anytime that, thank you so much, this half of the crowd for yeah. nodding. <laughs> Anytime young girls love something, whether it's Twilight or Vampire Diaries or dressing up as Amidala, it becomes cringy and it becomes hated and becomes something to make fun of. And I, I think that, Having so much representation for little girls in the prequels specifically also played into the part as why they were hated by the mass majority, but it's why I I loved them. There's also a very
1: um, religious experience in anyone who dressed up as her with that plastic headdress that just <laughs> stuck yeah. into your forehead. Yeah. I like everyone up for that, and like, having my mom pop call- a cotton ball to the side of I want to pipe in because, yeah, Padme was definitely someone to look up to. And before, when you had powerful women in media, it was like, oh, Princess Leia, she's kind of witchy. Um, She's like, you know, unapproachable. She's very regal, and that's how, like, queens or women in power should be. But then you get Padme, who's soft. She was a senator. She was smart. She was capable. She wasn't the immediate damsel in distress. She saves herself. And that was really one of my first introductions to it because in our generations, we really had... Maybe like the Ripleys and the Patmays and the Sarah Connors, but if you wanted to have like a really good representation of a woman, like you had to kind of go to the movies that maybe your parents didn't really want you to watch. Yeah. But this was like one where we could really get it accessible, and I could go to I could go to um, a toy store. Yeah, what was a toy store? Toys R Us. That's right. Yeah, that's it. I The lead paint in yeah. the Where's toys it? are there? really affecting <laughs> Chelsea. Um, And Luke, I know that this is something that you and I have talked about heavily, um, but one thing that I think we got from the prequels that was really expanded upon in the other universes were the different forms of lightsaber combat that we still see coming out in Ahsoka, we see it coming out in like the Obi-Wan series. So briefly, I do want to talk about the significance of having Qui-Gon's form Moving into Obi Wan's form, especially in their Darth Maul fights
4: in various series. Right. So, uh, so you see in their in their first uh, the, the first meeting, um, uh, an apprentice will always match up its his lightsaber form with with the master because that's what he's taught. Um, so you see uh, when Qui Gon is fighting Darth Maul, he's using form four, which is very force. Uh, oriented, and it's very offensive, but it is very, very draining and very, very taxing on on the person. That's why uh, Yoda uses the same thing, and after he's done, he's just wiped out. So, Mm Obi-Wan seeing Qui-Gon lose like that, he he completely reworks the way his, his, like, everything he thinks about lightsaber combat, and he's like, well, defense is... The number one thing. So he goes to an entirely defensive form through all of the Clone Wars animated stuff, all the way up until uh, the the fight with Maul and Rebels, which is one of the greatest lightsaber combat sequences ever made. Which
1: it wouldn't have
4: happened without the in fact. But you see them. It's, it's very uh, Hirosawa, it's very samurai, where they're fighting the fight in their head before they actually do anything. And you see it with the forms, because you see Maul take his stance, and Obi-Wan goes back to the you know form 3 defensive stance that he's had for years and years and years, so Maul goes, okay, I know how to beat that. So then he changes to a different one, and then at the last second you see then switch to Qui-Gon's original stance, and then Maul recognizes that, and then it's just the, the last second change as they pass each other, and then that's the that's the end of Maul, and it is and it's animated, but it is cinematic beauty.
1: Also, something to keep in mind too is in the Obi-Wan series, uh, Anakin handles Obi-Wan that oh. entire time. And, and he's Primarily using form 3, but in that very end of the series when he starts to get the upper hand on Anakin It's when he switches to form 4, which is Qui-Gon's form and Anakin obviously like I think it had like the symbolism of like the father figure form because those forms are you're really tied into them. Like you start usually in form 1 when you're a little Padawan and then it goes all the way up to 7 but just that stuff like how it has transformed and developed throughout the prequels, I think is probably one of the coolest things because you can really tell a lot about a Jedi based on the form that they're using, especially when they actively imprint that in media that's still coming out within the past couple of years.
2: And that's one of the neat things about it, because like we started in the beginning, it's a matter of scope. Look at the originals, the lightsaber fights are very static because that's, it was still the first time they do it, and they're still very based off of samurai movies but now we have the opportunity to do more. And there's the chance to go as in-depth into that as you want to get. Like you can learn to actually fight in the different Saber forms. There are people who teach it and they're all based off of prequels and some of the expanded media. And it's all there if you just wanna take it in your hands and like, I love it so much, I'm going to spend hours of my week practicing the sword. And learning how to do it because this is the world we're given. It's immersive and it's there at whatever level you want to look at it.
1: So, I'm glad that we kind of bring up the different levels of things and how we can get into them with the prequels. So, let's go into some of the more complex characteristics and especially gray morality. Now, preface, there's no such thing as gray Jedi's. Don't bring that up. <laughs> um, but, let's talk about how the prequels challenge traditional notions of good, and, good and evil, especially when we look at the transformation of Anakin to Vader, and why you think that got
5: so much hate. Well, okay. Why? Why I think it got so much hate? Geez. Well, I think the Anakin into Vader transition is biblical, and we got that from the prequels. I mean, it said in Phantom Menace that Anakin was from a virgin birth. And I think that you get, um, I I don't know if anyone pays attention as much as I do, or as my unfortunate panelists have, as I send them pictures in a group chat throughout the week. But there's one screen grab of Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, where he goes like this, and it's an exact screen grab of the fallen angel painting of Lucifer. If you guys are familiar with Renaissance art. Yeah. yeah, it's a very iconic. Yeah, he's doing a bit of a dab. The dab. Yeah, the satanic dab. <laughs> and there's I was
3: more of a shadow.
5: There's a tear coming down his eye, and it's, it's matched. It's screen for screen, it's the exact same image, and I think it's very intentional. I think that you get the stereotypical or biblical story of evil because evil isn't a person, it's influence. And I think that's the entire story of the prequels, and I think that's the entire story of Anakin's fall. It's a literal fall from heaven. He was the chosen one. And it was because of the temptations of evil, not him himself evil as we spoiler alert, find out later on, that made him fall from grace, literally. Um, so I, I think that was one of the coolest things. I know that was 100% George Lucas being a fanboy nerd who wanted to just, you know, make something really deep and meaningful and give a backstory behind a character. I think that so often we um, worship our villains like the Joker, like we Jokerify them. There are redeemable qualities about them and we kind of laugh. I don't think in Anakin's fall... When he's choking Padme out, there is nothing redeemable there. You should not like him. You should hate him. You should feel upset because you felt your feelings turned by watching him. And I think that's the whole point. I think we are supposed to look at him like Lucifer Morningstar falling from heaven.
2: And on that, I'm going to take it because he's not the hero of the piece. Anakin is the villain and the tragic figure, but he's not the hero of the Star Wars saga. And I think a lot of the reason that the prequels got so much hate. Is I was an angst-ridden teenage boy when that movie came out. Many people were angst, and many fans were angst-ridden teenage boys when the movie came out. And the writers wrote an angst-ridden teenage boy <laughs> so well. With he whines. He's obsessive. He's emotional. He's easily manipulated. He complains about the stupidest things. He doesn't know how to control himself. He flies off the handle because he's an angst-ridden teenage boy. And angst-ridden teenage boys don't like to see people make fun of them because we're tender. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And
2: and that's what makes the prequels great, too. (laughs) (laughs) And it, it works so well because no one has brought up the sand line yet, and I think we were all waiting for it. Thank God. But it's a cool line, and I will defend it because one, sand is coarse, it is rough, and it does get everywhere. But also, he's a kid. That's exactly the kind of thing a kid would say when the girl he likes is in front of him and they're talking. He's like, I like sand, well, I don't like sand. <laughs> and it's perfect, it's human. It's relatable, even if you don't want to relate to it. You can see yourself in Anakin Skywalker, and it shows you the things you don't want to have to face yourself. But if you're gonna be an adult and not fall to the dark side, and murder entire populations, maybe face those things and make peace with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> can I talk about Qui-Gon Jinn second, versus- oh. Please. Yes. So Qui-Gon
4: Jinn, uh, I remember when it first came out, he kind of got the, the well, why do we care about him? He's just kind of a throwaway character. He's only in the first movie type. The entire Star Wars trilogy is instigated, or the universe is instigated by Qui-Gon Jinn. And um, we mentioned uh, Grey Jedis a little bit. And I, my number one like pet peeve ever is when people say that Qui-Gon Jinn was a Grey Jedi because he didn't listen to the council. I said, No, he is the epitome of what a Jedi should be. He sees something that's wrong and he's going to fix it and it doesn't matter what the bureaucrats say about it. He's going to do it. And the same thing with when he saw Anakin. He sees little Anakin and he sees that he's got all this potential. He could be part of the prophecy because Qui-Gon really does dive into the religion part of being a Jedi. Um, But he... He decides, you know, I'm going to take this kid out of here. I'm going to be the, the father figure that he doesn't have in his life. And then when that is taken away from him in, in a duel of the fates... Some um, would say. Because it. <laughs> um, it really is. It is, the, that is mm-hmm. the fate of the galaxy could have been entirely different had Qui-Gon not died then. And... So Anakin, not first losing his father figure in Qui-Gon, and then losing his mother in the next one. And Obi-Wan is, I would say is more of a brother, like a big brother figure mm-hmm. to him than a father figure. And though that is very important, it's not, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in Anakin's development uh, throughout the movies that he, he needed that, whether it be his mother, whether it be his father, and Obi-Wan tried his best. That is, Obi-Wan Kenobi, he tried his best, should be his tagline. <laughs> Did he,
5: though? Did
3: You mentioned his loss of his family yeah. and how much that affected him and how Obi-Wan never was that. That is why Palpatine was able to become that. Exactly. <laughs> and I just wanted to talk just real quick about the greatest monologue in the entire series, the opera scene. Oh my word! You want to talk about the devil seducing the kid? That was just so velvety mm-hmm. evil. It just oh my word! I get goosebumps just thinking about the <laughs> literal goosebumps he does, he does just thinking about that. It was so right. good, but the way he the way he takes that and and reads Anakin, he knows what he wants, and he he doesn't just blatantly tell him. He leads him along to the point where he's having Anakin ask. Because Anakin was a very good-hearted kid. It's not somebody you can take and say, go out and slaughter younglings. He wasn't there yet. He needed to be tempted along those lines. And the fact that he got him to the point where he's saying that, you know, questioning everything he believed, saying, well, you can have all these things you're worried about, but not
0: where you're at.
3: You know, just the way he sets him up for the fall was just delightful.
0: Well, and what we don't see between episode one and two is how much Chancellor Papatine really means to Anakin. Yeah, there's there's a, a reference that Papatine makes towards the beginning of, of episode two that uh, is basically talking about how he's he's enjoyed this friendship that they've they've cultured throughout all this time, um, and so you see that influence and that uh, that love has just fostered and built over all that time. And that's what
2: Anakin's about, is that unconditional love. And one of the things I just realized as we were talking about this, is with losing the father figure, Anakin's story is one of loss, and every conception that he's had being broken in front of him. Episode one, like nobody can kill a Jedi. One of the first things that happened, his mentor who took him off the planet dies. <laughs> And after that, it's just disappointment after disappointment. And he's just looking for something and Palpatine can recognize it and feeds on it and builds up to it. And if Palpatine had actually been like a better politician and ruler, he could have actually lasted longer, but he didn't. That's a different topic. <laughs> but he is a master manipulator and he knew exactly what to say and how to lead Anakin along. It's just
5: can I say some mm-hmm. controversial things in the room as to promise they won't turn on me? <laughs> <laughs> don't promise it. You can turn on her. No, don't. Please don't. <laughs> I'll be very sad. Two things. Everyone wants to blame Palpatine, right? I also think equally as guilty are the Jedi Order. Yes. And Thank you all. <laughs> thank you so much, you guys. I was so afraid to say this. Yeah, and Mace Windu, big one, and I'm so sorry, Obi Wan Kenobi, Mister Stay in my lane, Mister Jedi aren't even supposed to have girlfriends, let alone live with one and get her pregnant. Are you? Yeah, are you kidding me? I, you want to talk about him not having a mentor and having a brother? Yeah, the brother who sees you like maybe dabbling in a white powdery substance and was like, well, I'm not going to tell mom because I'm cool. That's who he was. That's who he it was. He was. And then that he First. that's what Obi-Wan Obi- was. And <laughs> the Jedi Order specifically, you have this kid who told you, my goal after surviving and escaping human trafficking is to come back as a Jedi and save them all. I'm going to free the slaves and I'm going to start with my mother who apparently you could not help. But we'll move past that. And he gets to that point and he keeps saying like, I want to save my mom. I want to save my mom and the Jedi order and keeps saying like, you need to move on. You need to move on. You need to live in the present. You need to get control of your feelings His whole entire reason of coming with you as a child was to do that, and they they failed him. And when he says, I'm having, Jedis don't have dreams, they have visions. And he says, I see my mom dying. And they're just like, "Mm, damn, you should sleep that off. They failed (laughs) him. They failed him. And they knew that it was that fear and that fear of loss And the fear of not being able to do anything about it because that's what he was when he was a kid he was he couldn't do it he couldn't protect his mom he was watching her being abused and slavery and he was daydreaming about becoming a jedi to save her and then he becomes that and they tell him no they tell him no you can't i'm so sorry you need to move on attachments are a path to the dark side so sorry so sorry you can't do that you can't save her I can almost blame the Jedi Order 50%, maybe 55% for why Anakin is the way he is.
2: Yeah, when you look at it, every time you start learning about the Force, they say, you know, trust your feelings, feel out with your emotions. And then you get to the Jedi Order and it's emotions are bad and attachments are wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's a contradiction because they've gotten stagnant, they haven't moved, and they're complacent. It's a Force for good and order. That doesn't know what it's doing anymore.
5: Yeah,
4: and it's 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 along the lines of what I was saying, how how
2: interesting it
4: would have played out had Qui-Gon yeah. been the guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, oh, you're having
2: visions? Let's oh, go let's yeah, roll. let's take let's care go. of, let's of it. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> let's ride. We're <laughs>
5: literally Jedi. Yeah, let's let's take care, care of this.
2: Before it becomes a galaxy-wide calamity.
5: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: that is interesting is how the prequels helped expand um, or how there's just such an expansive universe and I kind of want to dive into that a little bit because in some of the books like in the Clone Wars book it really goes into why Anakin is so frustrated because he gets to go back to Tatooine to rescue Jabba the Hutt's kid and he's like why am I rescuing a gangster's kid to open up a trade route but i can't come back here and save my mom so and i think that maybe with the new trilogy that's come out too some of that stuff is lost as well like the knights of ren comic book series is just fantastic what extra universe stuff have you really taken to or would you recommend
2: all right i'm going to take this one the Getty tartakovsky clone wars cartoon
1: yeah it was
2: amazing yeah. absolutely amazing short clips they go by rapid pace, the animation's phenomenal, and you actually get to see the little side stories that build up the universe. Episode three, General Grievous, kind of a putz. Mm-hmm. He's cool with his spinny things and his hella, his General Kenobis, but you don't see him really tearing into things unless you watch the genni Clone Wars cartoon because he is horrifying mm-hmm. and terrifying. And it explains why he has the cough.
3: Yes. Well, having Dave Filoni at the helm of the new stuff is a beautiful thing to have because uh, he is a to the core. Yeah. Man. yeah. But you know, where we talked about, of course, got to talk about Rebels. I mean, come on now. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, when that one first came out, I was a little bit, you know, every time there's do something, to can we wonder which tone they're going to take? And after just watching the first episode, it just felt like Star Wars. It had the tone, it had the music, it just felt great. Um, and for anybody who is watching Ahsoka now, you had darn well better be watching some Rebels, because they yeah, are a yeah. the mishap. <laughs> yeah. Very, very much. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, we love those. And because, you know, every time they come out, I get to say,
4: oh, boy, he's watching. It. It's another bonding. So, it. uh, so for me, it is uh, the, the Clone Wars um, animated stuff mm-hmm. um, from Filoni. And specifically the episodes that... Dive into the other Jedi, like Kit Fisto and Flo Koon and like the Mace Windu. Like the Mace Windu Jar Jar Binks one was awesome. <laughs> I love it. But learning more than, you know, the guys sitting around in a circle. And that show did so much for Anakin as a character, and as well as Count Dooku. I think they both got more service in that than they did in, in the films. Who would have thought we'd hear it from Yaddle? I mean, come on. Right, right,
5: right. <laughs> Anything Star Wars animation. Because I know, I remember from the beginning of this panel, we have a few Maul lovers in here, a few Darth Maul lovers. Yes. Oh boy, did they bring him back. And I am a big fat sucker for Darth Maul, and especially the version of Darth Maul that is so filled with hate and rage and spite, who is purely living out of spite, that he reattaches his body because he hates that deeply. <laughs> There's something a little, I can resonate with that a little tiny bit. Um, and I very much appreciate the Star Wars animation for giving me Maul back and not just giving him back to me, but giving him back even better.
4: And Sam, when doing the voice, I he came here a few years ago and I went to his panel and I was like, okay, you know, does small? I'm interested to see this. He sat up in a panel room and broke down the philosophy of the
0: Jedi and the Sith using water bottles. And I was like, oh. <laughs> One of us! <laughs> this is awesome! I was watching a, a podcast uh, that he does and in it he was talking about uh, when when he met Dave Filoni and he uh, accidentally corrected, corrected him, him. Yep. <laughs> and thought for sure that he was going to get fired and, mm-hmm. and not going not to get <laughs> through and it was amazing. Um, uh, I, I would say uh Star Wars Rebels uh definitely for me. Uh it's uh, I've got a little five-year-old and we've really bonded over that and that's how he's kind of gotten his, his start in the Star Wars and um uh, just being able to see the the entry pieces of, of the rebellion and and uh you know how it wasn't just necessarily like uh you know, this, this whole force it was or not force, uh, this uh, this whole group of people, it was, you know, all these little groups that were kind of everywhere and then starting to, to come together and cultivate.
2: I just want to add one more thing that I was thinking as I was listening to everybody else. We've all stuck in like the basic same generations here. But if you really want to see Peak Star Wars, go back to the nights of the old Republic computer games. Yeah. Because those yes. are 2,000 years before all of this happens and you really get to see the balance and dynamic force that is the force because you have these characters that are swinging wildly from dark to light side. raven, right
1: literally swings from one to the other. Yeah, huh. and
2: it's, you see a depth of the force in the story, which is also phenomenally well-written, that you don't see in the movies. One, because you get to choose what you do, and also because the force is about balance, but it's not a seesaw balance. This is an ocean balance. The ocean has peaks and waves and storms, but it still balances out. It's all there at water level, and it has these undercurrents, and it has things on top, and tsunamis, and it's a living, flowing thing with life in it, And I think the Knights of the Book* really gets into that. And it also goes to Manan, which is a lovely place.
1: (laughs) He's like my damn first star wars thing and my character died on Manan, so he just says that to me. (laughs) Um, Twice. We only have a couple of minutes left, so let's go ahead and just wrap it up. And I'm really interested to hear about what you would like to see next, maybe for kind of prequel-esque things. Maybe if you want to see, maybe like Darth Jar Jar, I know, <laughs> you know, like explore Camp Duke a little bit. So, yeah, go ahead and uh, wrap it up. We also have like a hand here. Actually, let's. Right, you raised your, you your hand. Yeah, Sir, right. stand up. Stand up <laughs> and tell everyone why you raised your hand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or just what else you like to see. What else would you like to see from Star Wars coming up soon? And say what, who we are, by the
3: way. I have
0: some. Yeah. They need to finish the Force of
3: video. You're, You're
0: not finished. wrong. it yeah. yeah. after Disney bought it. You keep Vader custody of the You
1: know they, they also need, need to finish what finish. happened to Raven because him just being like a little ghosty, I can't take it. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead, kiddo. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, you're Sir? so
5: right about that. I
1: have okay. one over here. Yeah, but,
4: uh,
2: I love that you talk about it. The other way. I really like. What I would like to see is, I would like to see the rise of power. I don't think you get Palpatine credit. I think we're talking about someone that has so much dark energy, so much like the force is just so. Yeah,
5: I mean, he's a politician, so he's definitely going to be the darkest. <laughs> right. Actually, the fact that he can hide that. From well I mean right it's to their face. A
0: thousand percent. Well our isn't the Jedi Temple like built on like Sith grounds? Well, well I it's right. built on yeah, Sith. Well, it's rebuilt. Yeah. This is the rebuild Yeah. y'all just got it. Um
1: anyway, I, I think we have to wrap up real quick. So let's just go ahead and say our names. Thank you so much everyone. I'm Chelsea of uh Chelsea
2: and I'll go to Gorehouse. Uh Bob from Star Wars RPGs back and forth. Old Republic,
4: just flesh that out, put it on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Luke, uh, the Nerd Dome podcast. Find me all over the place, and more panels
5: this weekend. Noelle Fain, Chelsea, and Noel go to hell.
0: Colin Farmer. You can find me on Age
5: of Geek. Thank you so much, everyone.
3: <laughs> this has been an Age of Geek media production.